Hello and welcome to another episode of Tajine, a podcast about North African studies. My name is Graham Cornwell. I'm a PhD candidate in the history department at Georgetown University. The protests of the so-called Arab Spring in Morocco were the largest the country had experienced in 30 years. The February 20th movement brought together an amorphous and somewhat unlikely group of leftists, liberals, Islamists, demanding change in government. Not the end of the monarchy, but perhaps a transition to a constitutional monarchy. King Mohammed VI, though, acted quickly, calling for the drafting of a new constitution that was widely supported in a popular referendum later in the summer of 2011. Today we look at the dissipation of the February 20th movement through a unique concept, ihbat, or disillusionment, and a unique framework. Moroccan literary works that have dealt with the Arab Spring here locally and its discontents. And we're joined by two special guests. First, Tayyib Belghazi, Professor of Cultural Studies in the Faculté des Lettres at Mohamed Sank University in Rabat, and also the Academic Director of SIT Multiculturalism and Human Rights Program in Morocco. Tayyib, welcome to the program. Thank you. And we're also joined by Abdelhay Mouden, Professor of Political Science at Mohamed Sank University as well, and the co-founder of the Center for Cross-Cultural Learning and the Senior Advisor at the CCCL here in Rabat. Abdelhay, welcome to the program. Thank you. So to start off with this concept, can you explain what Ihbat is? And how, in your mind, does it differ from uh, a concept like fashal, or failure, or ya'is, despair? Well, there are two levels here. One, um, uh, at one level, one can say that um, ihbat uh, translates a feeling of disillusionment that is uh, brought about by uh, a setback. It breeds, as uh, Vinegar put it, uh, political fatigue. It can be associated with uh, disillusionment and uh, depression as well. Fashal indicates uh, the failure to uh, achieve preconceived political agendas and uh, remains very much uh, tied to the cognitive uh, domain. Yes, or despair, is uh, something that refers to a lasting standing condition which is um, uh, devoid of any dynamism and actually uh, is very much associated with dreary prospects. This is one level. Uh, but uh, at another level, one can also say that uh, whereas Fashal and Yes lead to depoliticization and demobilization, uh, Ihbat could be generative of repoliticization and remobilization. So it's a... A, a, can be a productive force. Yes, it is. Uh, it is the the outcome uh, of uh, a period that uh, was associated with another concept that we use for another piece, which is euphoria. And we came across these concepts because we recognized the significance of emotions in politics, a topic that has been marginalized in the uh, traditional approaches to politics. So whereas the rise and emergence of the Arab Spring has been associated with a euphoric feeling uh, of, uh, of a necessary success that will come out of the movement. The second phase was associated with the concept of uh, disillusionment, but it is true that disillusionment doesn't mean the end of politics. It means uh, self-reflection and uh, 
the search for no meanings to politics after the inability to fulfill the original utopian vision of political change, of revolution, of the downfall of authoritarianism. So why, I mean, if, if we can step back, why do you think emotions have not necessarily, I mean, we, we know that voters and, and uh, people who are politically active work on, on their emotions, make decisions based on sort of, we would call them gut reactions to candidates or to ideas. Why have we not studied emotions uh, more and, and, and the way they operate in, in the political field? I think the reason is because the dominant paradigms to politics have been either the structural paradigms, uh, either the Marxist or the culturalist paradigms, where politics is the outcome of already pre-established structures and where the political actor is marginalized. Or on the reverse of that, the rational choice has also been emphasizing on the actor, but this actor is completely rational, or to a large extent rational, and uh, the emotions uh, were, were uh, taken apart as something that are not significant, or when they are, they explain some uh, uh, some behavior that is not uh, that is not acceptable or r- rational enough to be of any significance. And I think these approaches have failed to capture the fact that emotions are central, but w- these dominant paradigms were ignoring them. Let's let's kind of narrow specifically into some of the scholarship that you have put out on this topic. Uh, uh, together, we're we're talking about an article uh, from the Journal of North African Studies from last year. And in in this article, you look at three literary works in particular, three recent works. Abdelila Belekziz, yes, uh, his Al Haraka, um, a play, Don't Bury Too Fast, Big Brother, by Dries Sixis, and Far From Noise, Close to Quiet, by Mohamed Barada. So historians and and political scientists are sometimes hesitant, maybe, to use fiction um, and to use literature as source material. Why do you think this makes a good source for well, studying the movement? Sorry. Well, indeed, uh, social uh, science has uh, constantly dismissed fiction because it, it focuses on emotion and um, it's considered as a mere entertainment. Uh, um, in fiction, you are not uh, expected, uh, basically, when uh, social scientists uh, engage with uh, uh, with um, uh, protests, with uh, social uh, movements, uh, they uh, uh, consider emotions uh, to be a, a private uh, uh, matter uh, or uh, pertaining to the domain of the irrational. And so, basically, uh, in uh, when you engage uh, through fiction with uh, protests, something happens which is very important. It is the displacement of the authoritative mode of engaging with, uh, with, with protests that we have in social uh, uh, science. And so basically what comes across is uh, something which is crucial. And this something which is crucial is uh, the feelings of people which are quite crucial in the uh, unfolding uh, of, of the movement. And maybe specifically, uh, uh, let's talk about the February 20th movement and why, why did these works um, in particular, or liter- literature in general, 
make a good source for for looking at February twentieth and uh, and what happened in two thousand eleven and the aftermath. We uh, noticed that the uh, uh, research on social movements in general, including in Morocco, um, were given primary uh, their primary efforts and energy to collect it to collecting what they consider to be objective data. And this objective data comes from uh, either uh, interviewing the actors or from trying to collect uh, the information that is displayed in the public sphere. Already, this is missing the significant link between politics in the public sphere and politics in the private realm. The two are not as disconnected as we assume or as has been assumed. And because of that, because the private, the politics of the private sphere has uh, not has not been uh, collected as a topic or uh, captured as a topic. Fiction is of primary importance in capturing the the private realm of of the human of the human being. And so, the, what justifies the selection and the choice and the concentration on fiction is because it does not make this distinction between the private and the public. Uh, and second is this, the works that uh, we have selected are what we were able to find uh, when we were doing our research. So they, they, this is not a sample of, uh, of fiction, but this is what we were able to find. Uh, after that, we have other fiction that we might consider in the future. Uh, and the, the other important aspect of this fiction is that they were not aiming at, um, they were aiming at struggling with making sense of what, how the actors act, but how they feel and how they act not only when they are in the, on, the street, in the, on the streets, but when they are also living their own intimate relationships and uh, reflecting about their intimate thoughts. The intimate thoughts is what escapes the grasp of um, mainstream political science because uh, mainstream political science um, gives uh, priority to what happens in the public realm. And what happens in the public realm in its eyes is a matter of organization, a matter of alliance, uh, a matter of strategy, and so on and so forth. And there are other elements which uh, it doesn't tap into, and those elements are the emotions which uh, are quite uh, central in the dynamic of social movements. And to, I mean, to provide some background maybe to our listeners who are not so attuned to the dynamics of the February 20th movement or, or even other movements in other uh, states during the Arab Spring, the movement itself was kind of, uh, and I described it as amorphous. Um, um, we have these sort of loosely organized committees. Um, I mean, maybe you could just characterize the movement and why getting into the private, the private self um, uh, and the role of individuals or and individual emotions is important. So tell us a little about the movement in general. Well, the term amorphous uh, is, uh, is apt here. Um, so in the, uh, in, in, the, in the movement, you had um, older uh, people who partook of uh, the uh, traditional left and were uh, very much associated with activism during the years of lead. 
you had uh, uh, students, young uh, people who were not uh, attuned to um, uh, traditional left-wing politics. You had Islamists. You had uh, a wide range of, of, of people all taking part in uh, this um, uh, endeavor to bring about um, um, some kind of uh, uh, alternative to the dominant uh, uh, regime. And so basically, in order to bring about the change, they organized themselves in Tansiqiyats, uh, which are these coordination uh, um, bodies, uh, which included uh, all these, uh, all this mix of, of people with different takes on uh, what to do and how to go about bringing about the change. So um, you had definitely um, uh, at one point uh, uh, very much uh, harmony, very much uh, unity, uh, which was thought of as being uh, quite uh, um, uh, important in bringing about the change. But uh, later on, uh, rifts uh, emerged and uh, so basically divisions and so on and so forth. Uh, the uh, mainstream social uh, science uh, actually uh, accounted for the what happened in the movement through established uh, paradigms and categories and uh, those categories were derived from the uh, of course as uh, abdel hay pointed out the um, uh, traditional modes of approaching social uh, movements and they did not tap into the uh, dimension of emotions which was very crucial in uh, actually accounting for the attitudes of of the people involved and those attitudes could not simply be uh, apprehended in terms of of ideology emotions were quite central and do you think it's accurate to say that the it's the emotions uh the sort of individual internal emotions that often inspire or maybe uh draw out spring forward public action i mean you mentioned in your article in north african studies that uh the, the decline in, in attendance at meetings of some of these uh, coordinating committee, committees that sort of coincides with what you draw out as a to this disillusionment. Now, I mean, that, that sort of feeling of hope, of euphoria, is also connected to a rising attendance in, in these things. So it seems like there's a connection between the private emotion and, and the public uh, performance, maybe. Um, is that what you're getting at? Definitely. Uh, among the aspects that uh, traditional approaches, traditional paradigms of political science did not capture is that uh, our uh, relationships between and the various activists, such as the love relationships, the hate, the jealousies, the competition, uh, the personal agendas, uh, the generation uh, dimension, uh, the relationship with the father the rela so all these are these are significant dimensions that if you uh, limit them to only the ideology or to only rational choice they are not uh, they are not enough uh, and whereas notions such as euphoria for example or ihbat disillusionment um, s sum up uh, an entire uh, sorts of feelings and of calculations and of uh, cognitive di dimensions that led 
in the beginning of the uh, the, the the rise of uh, the Arab Spring and February twentieth uh, to some kind of an expectation that the 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 end the downfall of the regime is is coming, and then one once that didn't happen, you also have these various dimensions, including disillusionment, including jealousies, including competition, including the feeling of uh, the feeling of the limitation of the individual in uh, bringing about political change. All this contribution to this notion of lehbat. Of so, the, the the idea is that uh, yes, feelings are way more are way stronger and uh, more comprehensive in capturing the political dynamics than simply the ideologies or simply the structures. And do you think maybe structures lead themselves, I mean, this idea of studying ideology structures lead themselves more directly to things like political parties, which we didn't really see in the February 20th movement. Um, and the dissipation of that movement is perhaps we can, we can watch it dissipate as we watch the ascent of newer or emergent political parties in in Morocco after the constitutional referendum. Well that that's that's right and actually you know the main takes on uh, the on the decline has been through the prism of uh, uh, the post-democratization mode of thinking that uh, in this part of the world uh, there is a pattern uh, there is uh, some kind of continuity with uh, with the, with the existing uh, regime, and so basically, whatever interruptions you have, you have uh, basically a momentary uh, uh, movement that uh, um, actually will uh, eventually end up uh, being um, um, marginal in the march of of history. So there is this idea of uh, of um, um, enduring authoritarian regime. So we have the, the construction of, of, of a structure, a mode of, uh, of, uh, of running uh, uh, affairs which has to, uh, to endure regardless of, of whatever uh, protests uh, um, do and so on and so forth. So this major mode of thinking does not tap into the dynamics of the feelings and so on. It just simply dismisses them or overlooks them or considers them as of no consequence. And so what Abdelhay was referring to is, I mean, the dimension of the feeling. And it's very interesting that uh, increasingly you have within social science the realization of the importance of emotion. So you have people who talk about the feel of history. You have uh, people who talk about the emotional turn in, uh, you know, and just like may uh, um, revisit uh, some uh, moments in the development of uh, social science and uh, try to do something with the collective effervescence of, uh, of Durkheim and, and so on and so forth. But we do not go that way, think uh, along Structures uh, and we think, um, uh, as Abdelhay pointed out, in terms of all these um, l life's little ironies, as some would, you know, just all these private uh, interactions uh, and so on, which may be of uh, great importance to 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 the, the political and the social dynamic. Yeah, uh, going along these lines, I think that we are now seeing in the social science at large these attempts to go beyond merely 
the collection of objects of objective uh, data uh, and quantifiable data which have proven to be not only in Morocco but in the US and in Europe and able what, what are you talking about <laughs> and, and and able to to assess and to capture the political dynamics we are now trying to search for other approaches that are i would say more imaginative and the notion of the feel of it, the feeling of history which is not necessarily limited to the, the the records and to the documents and to the archives but going beyond that to capture how people at a certain period of time uh, cap, uh, uh, sum up their own feeling towards what history is not necessarily what are the the, the individual uh, systematic elements of history but a global approach or another concept that was used by uh, uh, Host Child, who wrote uh, a, a wonderful book uh, uh, called Strangers in Their Own Lands, in the, uh, trying to understand the Tea Party. And she came up with this concept of the deep story or deep stories. Again, this is something that combined, combines a, a fictive, imaginative uh, approach uh, with uh, field research, uh, but trying to capture what to do people who are who belong to the tea party how do they make sense of their own lives and of their own stories and likewise we realize uh, that uh, these approaches to understanding politics beyond uh, quantifiable objective data and go beyond it is definitely something that could help us grasp the complexity of politics <laughs> Okay, welcome back. In these three works that you study, let's let's focus on on the kind of the argument and the literature itself a little bit. Things like unity and unification amongst the people, the characters in the story, and and the people as a as an entity, I guess, is a, is a central obstacle for the movement, for political success. And yet, a- a- as we've kind of mentioned, the February 20th movement was notable because it lacked leaders. It lacked some sense of cohesion. It lacked uh, a coherent, maybe ideological agenda. Um, how do you see this specifically playing out in the works that, that you've studied? Well, the main thing to, to note as far as the works go is this... Um, idea of the people does the people really exist as a united entity the works uh, we we studied actually come up with uh, an interesting insight into the idea of the people as some kind of basically a myth that um uh, in the initial euphoric uh, stages, uh, the, uh, the, the, the protesters were construing themselves as the people as they marched on the main avenues and so on, and thinking of themselves as it, as the people, able to achieve 
their ideal of bringing about the system that they, they, they sought and so on. And so basically what happened uh, in as the, 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 the movement unfolded is the, the realization that perhaps this united people does not exist. And it is this uh, kind of, um, uh, of realization that, uh, that brings about the, the disillusionment and that is really well captured uh, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the fiction that, uh, that, that we studied. So I mean, the, the, the ways in which the initial idealization and idolization of this entity, uh, the people, uh, is, it turns out, to uh, to be not really as united, and with that realization, you have the sense of ihbat. Politics, to a large extent, is a, a struggle over who speaks in the name of the collective of the com- the larger community. In democracies, the people are defined as the majority, uh, counted individually through the ballot box, and then the majority becomes the voice of the people. But then when you don't have the ballot box, you have many leaders uh, and uh, who, uh, or political entrepreneurs who try to frame the, the collective uh, as uh, the collective will in terms uh, by creating or by being the, the spokespeople of this people. Uh, but as Tayyip said, uh, this uh, people is a is an uh, is a frame for political mobilization, and uh, of course it might succeed temporarily. But then, uh, when you go to beyond the the mobilization to the streets and to the political struggle, etc., then divisions emerge, and uh, uh, and the the activists, uh, as we as the as are described in these fictions, realize that the people, the united people, as they have imagined them or as they have been as were framed uh, for them or by them is is a mere fiction so in the end is it ideological differences that that created this disintegration of the concept of the people i mean are we seeing um either in the literary works or in your own experience of the february 20th movement when push comes to shove islamists and leftists think differently about how they want a, a new government or a reformed government to act and to operate? Well, uh, basically what uh, emotions help us understand is that ideology uh, um, um, may exist, but it does not explain all the social movements dynamic. And so basically what the, the fiction does, I mean, all, the, uh, all these uh, works that we studied uh, do, is uh, point out how um, individuals come to terms with all these questions, how grapple with this idea of the people, and they come up with uh, takes which may not be at one with some kind of uh, formatted uh, ideology and so the 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 this dimension of uh, of 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 emotions is uh, provides an insight uh, into um, how uh, the, the the movement actually reached the point it reached at one point, and actually you had all these uh, this fragmentation, all the disagreements. So basically, ideology may be uh, part of the answer. It is not 
the 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 the, the whole answer. It's mu- the, the reality is much more complex, and this is what uh, the um, the fiction helps us uh, to understand. It seems like we're talking a little bit about momentum. You know, I mean, in a way, if I think about my own experience watching the quote-unquote Arab Spring happen from from afar, we saw sort of these things build and build in ways that even the people who were involved in them didn't ima- couldn't have imagined, and then spread to neighboring countries in ways that the people involved in them couldn't have imagined. There was a feeling that the momentum was moving towards in this particular way, and in various places, in many places, those movements were eventually disappointed or thwarted or, as I've said, dissipated. But it seems as though we're, one of the, the, the things that you're trying to explore is, is how this very difficult to explain political momentum happens because individuals have certain, you know, uh, experience certain emotions relative to the, the public political sphere and then kind of engage those emotions in order to take action. Is that, like, uh, am I missing something? No, you are not. You are actually uh, leading us to expand this uh, uh, this take in order to make a distinction between how are the political emotions different in countries with very little experience in democracy and in political change through the, through the institution, central elections. Uh, uh, you know how these two regimes or two kind of different political systems are. I have the impression that in democracies, democracies have established the rules for people to first to have limited expectations uh, before elections, and then to constantly search for uh, change for change. Whereas in countries which do not have a long experience in political change through elections, the change is more utopian. Uh, is not defined in terms of uh, of the agendas and the programs of the competing political parties, but something that is undefined. Uh, you did not see in uh, February 20th or in the Arab Spring anything regarding a program or what they want, what is expected to be achieved. It is broad notions such as dignity or such as equality or the downfall of authoritarianism or freedom. These are so, such a broad notions when they are considered in the utopian level, they, the expectations are so high. So with the inability to match and to meet these broad utopian dreams, then you have this disappointment. So in, in brief, if the, the, the more we are disappointed with our inability to reach and to materialize and to have our utopias materialized, the more we become more familiar with politics is and with political change is, and the more disillusionment is not as strong as it is in what I would say democracies that are that have been managing for many decades uh, and this disillusionment. So we're, it's like a product. It becomes a productive force. Definitely. And so basically, you know, the the utopia that Abdelhaj is talking about, um, is there a much more expressive um, incarnation of it than the lines from Ashabi, who were repeated by the marches, if the people wills life, fate must actually obey. 
So the, this idea of the will of the people as uh, being so powerful as to uh, bend fate to, uh, to it is, is quite interesting. We are operating here at the level of metaphor, at the level of symbol. And uh, and what uh, um, you know, reality is much more complex than than than, than that. And so, what the the, the, the fiction that uh, we um, uh, we have uh, helped us to, to do is actually uh, point out the 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 the, uh, the 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 gap between that ideal, that utopia, and. And the fact that, for instance, in one of the of the, the fiction, the fiction by the, the novel by Barada, you have mention of the state, uh, just like a cat with seven lives, more resilience. It's not the paper tiger one imagines it to be. And so, basically, that uh, the, this this uh, this kind of realization is is very uh, important uh, important, and it just points us uh, out the the. the uh, the, the dimension which uh, is uh, rarely touched upon uh, in mainstream uh, social science. I, I want to build on this um, this idea I get the the paper tiger or this you know resilient cat um, because I'm curious how your work uh, your analysis informs this loose broad sense of Moroccan exceptionalism that Moroccans themselves talk about. Um, positively sometimes, sometimes negatively. And political sciences also discuss, um, I mean, we're uh, approaching 400 years or, or more of the, the Alawite dynasty, um, survived colonial rule. Uh, so how, how do these concepts um, relate to um, Moroccan exceptional, exceptionalism? Um, the yeah, I'll, I'll open it there. Yeah, the, the work of fiction don't mention anything about exceptionalism because the states that they are describing is more of tragic conditions that could happen anywhere, and therefore there is no room for exceptionalism. However, we there is another element that, uh, ca- that comes across through this fiction, which is f- in order for this disillusionment to happen, but and also in order for the self-reflection to happen after euphoria, you need to have some peace. It would not happen in a civil war. So what could, uh, what could help us understand disillusionment uh, in the case of, what, what, uh, in the, case, the contribution of disillusionment in the case of Morocco is that we did not have a civil war. So you would not speak of disillusionment in Syria or in, or in uh, Libya. Uh, now, in order for the civil war not to happen, you have also to have a state that is not the uh, the model for an authoritarian state. And this is where we introduce, not in this text, but in another text, we ent- we, we introduce the term of the uh, the hybridity that the political that the regime is hybrid in the sense that it's not your typical authoritarian regime. A tolerated protest. Uh, the state tolerated protest that the state used minimum uh, violence and because of that uh, self-reflection and disillusionment was able to happen 
in, in, without undergoing some kind of a civil war. So rather than speaking of disillusionment, I, we propose the term hybridity, where Morocco is not an exception, but Morocco is a model or an, a case of these regimes that are called hybrid regimes. Another thing which is, I think, uh, also uh, as important is the idea that um, basically um, the uh, characters in the, 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 the fiction um, do not um, um, operate in ways that um, actually is defeatist, uh, in the sense that uh, they open up uh, um, new avenues for self-reflection, self-criticism, which means that if exceptionalism is premised upon the idea that whatever happens, you, ha you end up in the stalemate, that nothing changes, and that all these things are, um, uh, are sidelined by the existing power. What uh, we uh, actually highlight is the idea that Ehbat, uh, 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 can actually uh, be a generative of uh, self-reflection and also may open up uh, new uh, avenues, uh, hence our um, um, appropriation of the image uh, of, the, of the mole from, from Karl Marx. Uh, and so basically, if exceptionalism is about maintaining things as they are uh, on the basis that in for instance, in Morocco, you have all the elements that you mentioned. What we say is that there is some kind of dynamic, and uh, there's this fiction taps into that, that, that dynamic, and a dynamic which it cannot be uh, apprehended by mainstream social uh, science. So maybe we could close by turning to the February 20th movement now. Uh, is this still a movement? that we can, I mean, characterize as a movement, as having some kind of cohesion and even minimal momentum? And if not, what is it? Where, where did these activists go and, and what are they working on? These activists are trying to do in the real life what the characters in the fiction have been doing before that, which is we interviewed some of them. They are undergoing some deep reflections. They are also doing self-assessments. They are concentrated on their individual uh, itineraries. They are mm, trying to complete their PhDs or uh, trying to reconnect with their, uh, with their relationships in the past. So I think that, yes, we could say that the activists of, the so of February 20th are now undergoing what our novelists uh, have told us uh, before. Uh, uh, before the real thing happened. So uh, basically, you know, if you think of social movements, I mean, the standard definition of social movements, you know, they are uh, formal organizations, uh, informal networks, or individuals uh, with some kind of common uh, aim or, 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 or target. What you have here, I mean, in the uh, 20th, February movement uh, case, you do not have the formal organization in the traditional sense. Uh, you do not even have uh, the informal networks in the 
uh, in the, the normal sense uh, or the standard sense. But you have individuals trying to come to terms with uh, their experiences. And uh, of course, as Abdelhai said, we interviewed some of those uh, individuals and uh, we noticed, uh, you know, the uh, a very uh, interesting similarity between their reflections and the reflections of people like of characters like uh, like Hassan and uh, Hamzawi and all these characters that you have in or Kalsum all these characters that we have in in the fiction that that we studied and it's very interesting to ref to use that to reflect upon the boundary between fact and fiction between social science and fiction and the need to revise all these boundaries and disciplinary uh, compartments and I'm, I'm curious do you think that the did the interviews come first or were you were you gleaning this information from the interviews or had you read the the fiction and you're making these connections as you interview them no, the interviews were a part of a completely different project that was emphasizing on the notion of euphoria. But it is only now that you are asking us the question that you are trying to make the connections between the two. So they are not a part of the same project. Uh, I would also like to mention the fact that what we have realized is that uh, uh, the emphasis on protests, especially in countries like Morocco, have always been assessing the protests in terms of their outcome. Uh, they are on the prediction of what their outcome has been. And these uh, approaches have been ignoring the significant importance of the protests as they happen, when they happen, as if it is an experience by itself, regardless of what will happen, what happens afterwards. Now, we realize also that there are a number of studies of protests in, in democracies that are also pinpointing to the fact that protests do not really make that must change that protests are what achieve what they achieve on the streets and then people go home and lead their own lives something similar to what you do when you watch a play or when you watch a movie and then you are engaged fully in this experience and then uh, go home and then lead your own life so i think that the distinction between the inability of protests to achieve in democracies and the inability of protests to achieve in uh, hybrid regimes uh, which means peaceful protests, are not that distinctly different. That protests have their dynamics that we need to capture, that are captured by such terms, for example, as prefigurative politics, that people do what they do when they protest, and then uh, what happens afterwards is not as significant as the emotion they fulfill and they live while they are shouting on the street, bounding together, creating their communities. And this is strong feelings, but it is a limited, short-lived feeling. I think this is a, a great place to end, um, pointing to the possibilities of future research. Uh, and also, I should say, the application of, of the research to other political things happening in the world over the past, I don't know, say six to 10 months work that is undoubtedly going to upset many social scientists, but um, exciting, exciting work nonetheless. So Abdelhay, Tayyib, thank you so much for, for joining us. And please be sure to check out tajin.ottomanhistorypodcast.com for more information, a bibliography, um, and, and some further reading to do on this topic. Again, Abdelhay, thank you. 
Thank you for giving us this opportunity. And Tayyip, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.